action in the street is exciting But Jesus, between all the bleeding and fighting I've been reading and writing We need to handle our financial situation Are we a nation of states? What's the state of our nation? I'm past patiently waiting and passionately Smashing every expectation, every action To act of creation I'm laughing in the face of casualties and sorrow For the first time I'm thinking past tomorrow Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into a brand new episode of Let's Dive Deep. My name is Bradley. My name is Connor. And today we are going to be continuing our deep, not three hours long though, dive into the hit Broadway musical and pop culture phenomenon, Hamilton. During two days deep dive, we will be focusing on songs 14 through 17. That's Stay Alive, Ten Dual Commandments, Meet Me Inside, and That Would Be Enough. As we discuss... We will be taking into account the Disney Plus version of the musical, the soundtrack, and, of course, the experience of seeing Hamilton live. So, no matter where or how you have experienced Hamilton, this is the perfect place for you to be. As you all know by now, Let's Dive Deep contains adult content, like dueling. Dueling is not something I recommend for children, just like this podcast. So if you're listening to this podcast around children, you have been warned that it may not be suitable for them. Additionally, Let's Dive Deep Hamilton does contain spoilers. A lot of them. In fact, enough to block the Suez Canal. So while our focus <laughs> each episode is a specific set of songs, we will always take into account the entire musical to add context to our discussion. <laughs> enough to block the Suez Canal. Man, okay, uh, for people listening in the future, the Suez Canal is a uh, rather... Man, this is a very timely reference. You're either there, you're 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 there when it happens, or you're not. If you are enjoying this podcast, you can find I other. Gotcha. <laughs> you can find other Let's Dive Deep series in your favorite podcatcher. Up to the point of recording, I also did a deep dive into Bridgerton that you might enjoy. I can't wait to do season two about Anthony's freaking story. It's going to be fantastic. And finally, do not throw away your shot. If you are having a good time, go and leave us those five-star reviews wherever you are listening to this. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Let's Dive Deep and send in those questions and comments to Let's Dive Deep Pod at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Okay, that is all of the spring cleaning. So now that we are ready to go, let's kick back, relax, maybe grab your beverage of choice. I've got mine. And let's dive deep into Hamilton. Alexander. Aaron Burr. Sir. Can we agree that duels are dumb and immature? Sure. But your man has to answer for his words, Burr. With his life? We both know that's absurd, sir. Hang on. How many men died because Lee was inexperienced and ruinous? Okay. So we're doing this. Number nine. Look him in the eye. Ain't no higher. Summon all the courage you require. Then count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Number ten. Base is fire. All right, so Bradley, yes. we are starting this section with Stay Alive, right? We are indeed. Here's my thing. 
and I don't know how you feel, but if you if you were to tell me as an actor, you have to follow. Wait for it. <laughs> yeah, it's not I would, great. I would quit the play, right? And I would absolutely just now kudos to Lin Manuel for taking that job on. And I, I have to commend Stay Alive as a body of work to the fact that it actually does feel like a really good piece of art, even coming in the shadow of both Satisfied and Wait for It. And we've got a lot going on in this song that 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 makes it like live up to the challenge that I think Satisfied and Wait For It are. That being said, though, things are going well for the song. They're not necessarily going well for Hamilton's plan, right? Like his you plan. Wanna, Look, you want to go off on your your yes, thoughts here? One hundred percent. I didn't even write it in the notes. I'm glad that you didn't need me to write in the notes to know that I want to talk about his very stupid plan. All right, so let's first. I'm gonna I'm gonna tackle the 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 um the difficulty that it is following. Wait for it, and I guess that's just the challenge of making really good stuff in life, right? Like if you write Harry Potter, what do you like? Everything you write after that's gonna be terrible. Like what is like you know what I mean? Like how do you even follow that up? It's the same here, and I think. I think the best way to do it is just to not try and be it. And that's what I really like Stay Alive for. It's just back. It, 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 it almost ignores the fact that it's following Wait For It in that it's a perfect song for what it's trying to do. And I, I never even, I never once got the sense that like after Wait For It's done and then Stay Alive starts, I never got that feeling. I'm like, oh, this is, this is not as good. Right. Even though, even though Wait For It is just such a powerhouse and the performance by Leslie Odom Jr. there is incredible. Um, I think it transitions perfectly into this, and there's no gap there where I think um where I think the 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 follow up wasn't wasn't adequate if that makes sense it does I think it's also crucial here that we don't have any narration from Burr number one, I think that this section of songs that we're discussing today I think they speak to the songs that we discussed last time in a way that we're moving out of talking about death. Now we're talking about the preservation of life. But they're connected, but they're distinct and uniquely different. But it, when when uh, when Burr is done with Wait For It, he exits and we have a moment to breathe with Wait For It. We don't have any narration from him. We just get to sit in that moment, reflect and deal with it. And then he exits and then we are prepared to receive stay alive right and it's so well done too with just like they let the note go it's not silence they just let the note just play for a while to transition you mm -hmm. and it's very very it's i, I use the, i don't want to use the word pretty but it's like very pretty ah uh, there's nothing wrong with the word pretty it is pretty it's just a very <laughs> pretty like the note just like lingering in there it's just yeah pretty's the right word mm -hmm. yeah and we do we get that moment of of peace, right? Although there is, I, I, I want to point out, there's a little bit of tension in that piano pattern, right? Getting into Stay Alive that lines up well with, if I'm not mistaken, if I remember from watching, that's Eliza up on the gallery singing the Stay Alive refrain, right? Yes, you get this, uh, yes, this, it is. Yeah, you get that tension with the piano and her vocal, 
And I, I'm probably going to mention him a couple times, but I think uh, Scott Wasserman, the Beats programmer for the show, okay, does some you, of his lost best me, work. But I'm in. He a does beat? some of his best work in Stay Alive. Yeah. What so, is a Beats programmer? Well, so he is the guy who is programming all of the loops, sound effects, and musical uh, components that are not played by the orchestra. Okay, okay? cool. I gotcha. I mean, so makes he does. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. All of the like the artillery claps. The the record scratches, the the rewind break in Satisfied. Um that's that that's this guy named Wasserman. Okay. And uh he uh so there's there's a couple ways that we do things like this. There's um there's a couple programs. There's Orca Extra. Um, and that's also used for like replacing like members of an orchestra in case you want to have a smaller band. Like you can have a digital trumpet player instead of a, an actual trumpet player. Right. But there's also this program called Ableton and he works in Ableton. And that's like, that's the program that in which he orchestrates. And then they plan to trigger all of these effects that are not played practically by the actual orchestra. Um, and if you listen to stay alive closely, honestly think some of his best work in the show is less noticeable here but is really well done here like it's just there's this doppler effect of the whooshing that goes over like when the bullet goes over hamilton's head there is this like low resonant thunderclap that happens early on in stay alive and then there's that hi-hat pattern which to me sounds like a that's a repeated loop that may not be actually coming from the drummer in the pit, right? Um, but I just thought like this this was a good time to bring up the fact that that Wasserman is um, a, a really talented creator and gives a lot to this show. Stay Alive is, in my opinion, one of the the best like sample and beat tracks in the show. It's a very long answer. Your very simple question, <laughs> and that's why the show is called Deep Dive. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a great answer. I, I, it's it's one of those things that you obviously know it has to like that kind of job has to exist. Like obviously someone has to has to find and create and time and, and make sure all of those sound effects are going off. It's just not a job you think lots about, right? It's kind of like it's like when you watch a TV show, no one really thinks about the editor, right? Like mm -hmm. the credits come up, directed by, written by. And no one really thinks about what a good or bad job the editor does. Because if you if they do a good job, it kind of just seamlessly blends in. And you can't really pick it out. And so I really like the call out there because it's something so easy. I would have never thought about that guy. Ever once. Like, I would have noticed that his work was good. But I would have never even once been like, huh, he did a great job. I just would have kind of just watched Hamilton again. And not really not really gave him the, the credit he deserves. Like everyone else in Hamilton, he does a great job. <laughs> Well, you're you're probably not alone in that, right? I mean, what you're taking in is the sum total of all of the musicians and artists working together, right? And unless you know the ins and outs of how like music for a musical these days is produced, then you're you're probably you're just not going to get that memo. But the thing is, it it is a hip hop musical, so you've got to have somebody responsible for the trappings of hip hop that we know 
And a lot of that is sampling and digital beats and in this case, literal record scratches and loops. But also he is doing some of the sound effects like the artillery claps, right? That you could probably do as a bass drum or a thunder sheet or something. But it's much more interesting in the context of a hip hop musical to have them be musical sound effects. Um, oh, interesting. Uh, the uh, the drummer in the pit, whose name I do not have remembered, he's the one that's actually triggering all of these Ableton loops um, for the show. Oh, cool. And so, like, yeah, so he's got, like, a... Typically, it's either a... It's a pad you can hit with a stick, or it's a pedal. So it's already impressive, the drum patterns that are in Hamilton, because there are some things in satisfied and uh uh and uh oh what is it what's the the name of the one less thing to worry about that like Reynolds pamphlet Reynolds pamphlet yeah there are some drum patterns in this show first of all you you just cannot play if you did not grow up playing in the gospel band at a southern <laughs> black church like number like it's just there is that feel it's about her, them right one, you just can't like into hamilton yeah like gringos cannot play this music right but then also you're responsible for triggering all these loops so that added responsibility i think you know is really admirable i think triggering um, the sound effects and whatever the guy is whoever is responsible for turning the microphones on and off when people are and aren't singing that like that just i'm not doing that job you could not pay me. Like you could, you could get ten million dollars, and you have to turn the mics on and off at the correct time. I'd be like, I'll just ruin this play. I'm out. I'm out. I can't yeah, do it. Like you, what? That guy has the hardest job ever. You would not believe how busy of a job that is, because with modern digital soundboards, what we do is we pre-record which microphones are on and off at particular moments in the show into scenes and so if you look at let's look at stay alive right because that's what we're theoretically supposed to be talking <laughs> talking about right now um <laughs> you Deep so dive. at the top of at the top of stay alive in your digital sound console you have a scene that says stay alive one right you trigger that scene and at that point everybody's mic is off except for philippa suits then you would have a scene two, which adds Lin-Manuel. And so you as the soundboard operator, like these, these settings are preset in, but you have to know when to trigger those scenes, right? And also, let's add another level of difficulty here and another reason that, yeah, the, the FOH sound op is one of the like hardest jobs in theater. In some theaters... The FOH sound op is not correct is not connected directly to the stage manager the entire show. And a lot of their stuff they have to take on their own. It's not the best way to do business, but a lot of people do it that way so that the FOH sound op can actually listen to stuff, right? So it's a yeah, it's you could not I, I, I really admire the people that do that job. You couldn't pay me enough to do it either, because it's a lot of work. And if you miss a cue, then you hear the actors in the wings talking about who they hooked up with last night. Yeah, that's right? the thing, because right? Their He's, mics, the yeah, hot mics, it's are a huge a big thing. issue. Yeah, yeah, it happens. Yeah, 
There's also like the added bit of there's the hot mic problem, but like characters who aren't singing have dialogue. Like they are speaking to each other in a lot of scenes. And so mm-hmm. you'd end up with all of whatever whatever it is that these characters either are scripted to say to each other or that they've come up with like a funny joke they tell each other, right? Just to look like they're talking about something in the background. Like you'll have that being broadcast to the audience as well. So it's just, it's incredibly specific and, and difficult. I would imagine. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be able to do it for sure. You, usually it's a uh, watermelon rhinoceros, peas and carrots, peas and carrots, general hubbub. <laughs> there's like cool. these there, there are fr- phrases you can link together to where it looks like you're talking about stuff from a distance but really all we do is get up next to each other and repeat gibberish yeah i mean that, that doesn't surprise me all right <laughs> let's, let's, let's slowly detour back into this actual song i'm gonna talk about hamilton's plan i'm gonna talk about hamilton's yes, plan. yes sorry i went I went on a theater tangent. I have to take oh, it through. I, I, I'm here for the theater tangent. I appreciate that it's in here. <laughs> I have no problem. We just at some point have to detour back. We'll get there. We do. This is a we road do. trip where like there's a straight line highway and we take the, the whole scenic route. Every little yes, side indeed. trail. Um, so Hamilton's right. plan. This is a plan. Hamilton's plan, shockingly, did not go well. I don't know who could have predicted this. <laughs> I don't know if anyone on this podcast had any thoughts about his plan. Um, him having three friends, inventing spycraft, and writing to Congress <laughs> did not work. So I get the sense here, like this is almost it, it to me who really does not like this plan from Hamilton. Like at the beginning when he's just saying how terrible everything is, I was like, well, his mate, of course it is. Like, your plan was awful. Like of course <laughs> the general's despondent. You had like, you brought three friends along. Like what are you doing? Anyways, then what I like here is Washington comes up. And his plan is the winning plan. Like, Hamilton's plan sucks, whatever. And so he's going to come in and he's going to be like, he's going to like, we're going to provoke outrage. Outright. And Hamilton's like, that's right. Like, he's just right on board. It's like, Hamilton, (laughs) come on, man. Like, I I, I don't know. His plan was bad. It didn't work. Washington, Papa Washington's in the house now. He's got a different plan. It's going to be really cool. Um, I specifically like the mention up at the top of, of Hamilton um writing to congress and then congress writes mm-hmm. george i'm like okay well i'm glad that we established twice now that that's not gonna work um but yeah so so in all seriousness what i like about this whole song and it's what i like a lot about hamilton is that you need information and they give it to you in, in a very fun way we're gonna get to that again later in 10 dual commandments where it's like we need to know how duels work so what's the most fun way possible to do that and that song is incredible and then we have the cabinet battles later which, which are just an incredibly fun way to introduce us to to jefferson um other than his big intro song but like to introduce us to the the minutiae of being a secretary of state which isn't overly interesting and so i like that here where just the setting the music um hamilton the way he's sitting in the chair kind of writing like all of those cues and and, and little bits of choreography really helped to make this interesting even though he's pretty much just saying like yeah dude this sucks our plan was bad it is very engaging isn't it and engaging is the right also, word it's incredibly engaging yeah it's it's efficient too right you know all of this is coming at us quickly but it's easy to take in because things are laid out very plainly it's it's just the facts ma'am it's all coming at us very clearly so we can understand it but I, I especially appreciate how we get a we get a quick check in with what everybody is doing. Hercules goes away. 
Lafayette talks about what he's doing. Hamilton and Washington talk about what they're doing. But this goes back to something that you've said earlier. The way this musical does exposition is particularly interesting. We don't get bored. And there is this nice balance between what we crucially need to know and how it's given to us in an entertaining way. I think that this section from Stay Alive to uh, Tendul, like there's there's a lot of, I'm, I'm reiterating what you said a little bit, but I'm just agreeing with it. And I think that people need to understand that you're being brilliant. There's a <laughs> lot of information that we get so quickly. And part of that makes me think like, Imagine if Hamilton was a more straight ahead musical and if it wasn't all hip hop, because the show would be nine hours long. And 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 would need to be just completely rewritten because of all the exposition that's here. This whole song is like just people saying what they're doing. Like, it's not mm-hmm. it's not like it's the, the writing is creative in the sense that it, it has to be written to, to fit the song. But it's just like I'm literally writing essays against slavery and I'm going back to my apprenticeship like they're just saying what they're doing and so yeah 100 percent. the way they <laughs> i did it again uh if you're on twitter we have a drinking game that you can do whoops anyways um the way they do the exposition is incredible lin Memo's good at it for every song but this one stands out because it really is just a whole song of people saying um what they're doing and what i what i appreciate about the the lyrics here is they sum up really quickly how how the revolution is going to be won it's not about and and didn't even end up being like just decimating the british like that's that part of it wasn't going to happen but what was going to happen and what's an incredibly effective strategy as it turns out is the british as big of an empire as they are and all the rest have a lot going on they got to deal with you they got to deal with spain they got to deal with france they have a lot of things on the move and so if you can just put up enough of a fight create enough chaos Right, I suppose win enough battles, kill enough people. At some point, it just doesn't become worth it, right? Like the mm-hmm. Britain could endlessly continue to send thousands, of, like whatever they want, right? But at some point, if you can just make it not worth it, if you can just get the king to be like, "Hey, you know what? As much as I love the colonies, I gotta take these troops and put them somewhere else because we have other more important things happening." And so I appreciate that we get that so quickly because later in the play, but in real life, we're gonna we're gonna talk about a little bit. Um, how does this get won? How how do the Americans? There, uh, what does Burr say? An army in need of a shower, right? How do mm-hmm. they a ragtag army in need of a shower? How do they beat the global Somehow superpower? Somehow defeat a global superpower, right? Yeah. So, I like this here because we get it in like two lines, what the winning strategy is going to be. And it's engaging and it's fun and you need to know it and you understand it. And then we're moving on. And I, I really like the efficiency is the right word, but just engaging is the right word. I really like how we get that plan because I think it's important to know the difference between like outright. Like, I think it's important to know the difference between outright just destroying the British Empire, which didn't quite happen. But but the the sly kind of really interesting strategy here of just cause enough chaos and make enough of a ruckus that it's not going to be worth it anymore is a very interesting um, strategy. And I'm glad that they took some time really quickly here to just talk about it because um, it adds a little bit of intrigue into, into what's happening with this fight. They do it so quickly and they also do it quickly with the battle of Monmouth. You know, there's so much that happens in this song 
you you know like the the American army and the asymmetric warfare that they waged against the British like I I guarantee you entire theses and books have been written about it but in this song you're told all you need to know so that you can follow the narrative and then move on and I would argue as well we'll we'll probably talk about this more later but that's also what makes Tendul so successful because the the historical kernels of truth you need are there but this section of the show really does stick with let's tell an interesting story if there are details we can omit we will like this this song when um when we get to our um our favorite uh failed general and fallout boy member uh charles lee he like, all we need to know about him is that he shit the bed at the Battle of Monmouth. Now that, I mean, we could talk all, all day about that. We could talk about how he didn't communicate. We could talk about how he was supposed to, like, have this big flanking maneuver with Lafayette. But he he didn't really understand exactly what the British Army was doing. And so because he was lacking information, he thought, we'll not make a specific plan. Let's just go into it, right? And so then he was just going to be completely reactionary and improvisational in the moment that didn't work he actually got court-martialed for his failure that day right but if you include all of that again the show gets to be six or nine hours long i think it's just so good what they choose to include and how they include it right and what they omit because i think i don't know if you agree with me but i think they give us exactly enough information for 10 dual commandments to have some stakes to it without having to take a complete side trip to understand the life and times of General Charles Lee, right? Because I don't think it's necessarily that important. We, we know everything we need to know and nothing more. And I think that that is one of the hallmarks of quality writing. Everything you need, nothing you don't. I think Charles Lee gets a little bit short shrift in this musical because Benedict Arnold's not in it. I think if you put Benedict Arnold in the musical, Charles Lee looks saintly, right? Like, I think for Charles Lee's ego, he's a little bit upset, mm. a little bit upset mm-hmm. that Benedict Arnold's not here because he looks a lot better <laughs> when, when you start comparing him to Benedict Arnold. Uh, but yeah, like, I, I agree with everything. That, well, that being said, though, Lee, and this is, you know, this is kind of up for debate, but Lee was captured at one point by the British and spent like a year as a prisoner of war. And there have been documents discovered that are alleged to have been written by Lee where he was conspiring with the British to get him out of prison earlier. Uh Uh-oh. So Lee might have been a Benedict Arnold in his own right. (laughs) Well, I take back everything I said. Still though, but it's hard to (laughs) it's hard to actually pin down. But but here's the thing though, what you're saying is is great though because it does support the idea of let's trim the fat. We need a villain within the Continental Army 
if we have Lee, we don't need Benedict Arnold, Correct. right? That's exactly the, you know? the point there is the efficiency really works. Yeah. I just like to bring up, like, when we talk about <laughs> whatever, whichever two dudes were trying to hire Hamilton, like, I just like to bring up these little things, like, oh, man, they're, they're egos. Like, just let's pour, I was, pour one I was out about for, to ask. Pour one out for Charles <laughs> Lee here, who <laughs> who who really was... doesn't get the, the, the villain comparison. He needs to look good. Yeah, I was about to ask if you were going to add him to your Henry Knox pour one out list. 100%. Oh, also, um, again, pour one out for Henry Knox because freaking <laughs> Hamilton starts this song writing letters to Carl, like doing the, again. It's again, a Hamilton doesn't want to be a secretary and then ends up, like, all we see him doing is secretarial work. Right, right. Pour one but yeah, out. what you're saying, it, it also calls to mind for me um, room where it happens and in the play having Madison and Jefferson and Burr approach Hamilton when that that wasn't the, the case in reality, but it 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 streamlines things. It keeps the characters that we care about that we're engaged in on stage more. Just like bringing Burr into the duel. Yeah, bringing Burr into the duel, duel is right? the second. It's, it's just a way because we know him. We know him. We need, yeah. him, we need him here, right? It's, there's no point introducing a new character. You might as well just bring a character we already know and like in. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really, it's really nice. And, you know, from a practical side of things, like you can only hire so many actors, right? Um, your dressing rooms are going to fill up at some point. <laughs> yeah. I think the battle in this song is, is interesting here. The battle of Monmouth. Um, mm, I don't mm -hmm. know loads about the battle of Monmouth, but I think this is where, this is where I just the the blending of everything really comes together because it's so well like this is a point in the musical maybe for the first time where what's happening is pretty simple to understand and easy to follow right I understand already like what the Battle of Monmouth kind of is and how this is gonna go and so coming into it now obviously if you watch this a bunch of times you'll start noticing it in other tunes but because what's going on is pretty simple like people are just saying what they're doing it's not it's not a, it's not a struggle internally to follow what's happening um this song gives you a really cool opportunity as a newer viewer to really notice just how well um the lighting is done the choreography everything here is awesome like the red coats kind of walking around the stage in the background to add a, a sense mm -hmm. of of dread um to to hamilton uh, when he's writing those letters i think we need to talk about the, the as i so eloquently put the bullet girl but when we get down to the song <laughs> when we get down to the song washington and like that confrontation between washington and lee is very funny it's very very funny which i appreciate taking something like this and and, and making it um humorous and then <laughs> charles lee was left without a pot to piss in gets me every single time um and mm -hmm. then and then charles lee's not so happy with washington so what are you making of the washington lee um everyone attack retreat like that interaction because for me it's so engaging and easy to follow and it really highlights all the other things that are going well um that kind of happen the extracurriculars the lighting the the things that you sometimes don't notice right away if you're only watching the first time I agree with everything you just said, but I will also add a few things to it. Number one, I think that it's a great distillation of what actually happened because Washington was a proponent of being forthright and getting out there on the field and striking at the English. A lot of people, including Lee, wanted to just have fortified positions within the continents and wait for the French reinforcements to arrive. 
they were thinking it's wrong to be proactive. Let's let's wait on Lafayette's promise to actually come true, right? Uh, in addition to that, I also think it's very funny. I love the choice for the Continentals to not have guns here, whereas the Redcoats do. I love that very much. I think that's a clever prop choice here because it reflects how undersupplied the American army is. And I also just love all of the machismo here that I think contributes <laughs> to I like that word. The, the comedy, right? But I also think it, it it contributes to the drama. Like, I think that whether you're watching the show or you're listening to the show, the actor playing Lee has this kind of like shrill, it's like snarky, true, uh, like snarky yeah. machismo. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Whereas Washington is Martin Sheen. Washington is common. He has a stately way about him. I mean. Uh, if you're going to do the, you know, if you're going to do like the celebrity rendition of this show, like, the, you know, when they did, I don't know, like if this were if this were going to be a Hollywood feature and they are too snooty to get Broadway actors like they often are, like you, you get Denzel Washington or Morgan Freeman to play General Washington. Right? Oh, absolutely. And yes. that counterpoint, yeah. that counterpoint between him and Lee is almost nonsensibly as funny as it is impactful. Yes, I agree. I agree with all of that. I, I, it's such a charming song in that way is that they're, they're taking, we, we, like we should feel like things aren't going well. And it, it's a really cool trick to inject a little levity and a little comedy into, into a situation that's not going well to keep things lighthearted and engaging, but also to help us like with the prop choices and all those other things that are so much easier to notice, I think, in this song. Um, give, us, give us the dread, but also give us that, that fun, kind of humorous aspect to it. Uh, we also get yeah. here Hamilton, uh, again, feeling a little bit aggrieved because he wants a command and he's not... He's not getting it, and we'll talk about that a, a lot later. Um, but oh yeah, there's there's such a there's such a painful bait and switch for Hamilton here when yeah. Washington turns to here Hamilton, yes sir, and he sounds so hopeful. Yeah. He Washington turns to Hamilton, right? Hamilton sounds so excited, and the first thing out of his mouth, have Lafayette take the lead. Like, God damn it, Dad! <laughs> I thought you were gonna send me up there. Yeah, sure. I, yeah. It's, I, yeah, it's just very funny and, and charming, and it's just worth mentioning the grievance here, because um, obviously in Meet Me Inside, it's going to explode a little bit, and so I think it's just worth uh -huh. kind of mentioning, hey, this is like, sir, entrust me with the command, and every day, no, he dismisses me out of hand. Um, it's also Washington's mm -hmm. going to give us a little bit of detail later as, as to why that is, and so that's interesting. We also have Bullet Girl here. So I, I wrote in my notes Bullet Girl, and then you wrote a bunch of actual notes that, that analyze <laughs> <laughs> who this woman is and what her, what her actual function in the, in the musical is. My, my big question for you, so for those of you who don't know, uh, I think Connor's probably just going to talk about his notes here because they're very well done. But there is a actor, the one that, that moves the bullet over Hamilton's head and the one that was killed earlier in the play. 
um, with the behind the head neck snapping thing. Um, her she has like a hidden, I guess, function in the play that I noticed uh, after a couple of watches, and then I googled, and there's like a New York Times article on it, which is awesome. Um, but she she represents like a little like death almost, right? She represents like everyone she kind of interacts with and hangs out with ends up dead, and it's very it's interesting. So, uh, Connor, I think it's just best if you go here. But my main question for you is, do you think, like, at what point during the play do you think Lin-Manuel starts to make this a theme? Or did it just kind of happen accidentally with the choreography? And then once they noted it, noticed it happening accidentally, they're like, oh, this is cool. We'll just, we'll just switch things up a tad to make it a little more obvious. Well, I can't believe that this was accidental at all. Um that's that's one thing like i i do think that this is something that was this was on someone's mind uh early on uh when the choreography was developed and i don't know for sure but i'm i'm thinking that this was actually a move by the choreographer and not lynn um because it doesn't actually affect any dialogue no, not at right? all. It's it all just it's just it's um it's just kind of like it's kind of like a motorcycle with a sidecar situation. Like it just perfectly accompanies it, but it doesn't take away anything. Yeah. So this this seems like something to me that comes from the mind of the choreographer because one of the benefits of a chorus is that you can pull members of that ensemble out for them to portray particular roles when you need them. They become flexible and they become utilitarian actors that can assume different roles by putting on this jacket or this. Yeah. And we have the, we have the doctor and Charles Lee and in the farmer refuted, whoever that is being the, um, the dude with the scroll that was really funny. So those are the types of characters you're talking about, right? That's exactly what I'm talking about. But when you're taking people from the ensemble to perform roles, right? it does make sense for you to find common threads within the show and give one actor all of those moments that unify, right, within, within that role, give them the moments that are unified by subject matter. And death is such a part of this show. It, of course, makes sense to have one character thematically represent that. And it's fascinating the way they do it because some appearances are much more subtle than others. This one I think is one of the most noticeable. And I think that it's, uh, it's noticeable in that she gets a spotlight. She appears out of nowhere. There's a sound cue. There's three people on stage that you notice Hamilton, two ensemble members, and she's one of them. She shows up out of nowhere, holds her hand out, becomes the bullet, and takes this bullet, stage left, going over Hamilton's head. She gets a spotlight on her hand holding the imagined bullet. And the psychological subtext there is that the gun is real, but the bullet is not. So she is the bullet. There's not an actual bullet. She's it. She is the bullet. Absolutely. She is, right? Because she's there, but there's no bullet. So she becomes that whether you understand what's going or not you can understand that there's a chance for danger when she is nearby and then what happens 
in the next song, Ten Dual Commandments, when they are moving into position for pick a place to die where it's high and dry, who is she standing next to? Hamilton. Sucker. And then and then later, she kills a British soldier, and she's so happy that she did it, she shakes John Lawrence's hands, and then he dies. Yeah, he's gone. Yeah, you don't want to you don't want to interact with her. You want to avoid her. No. You don't. And I, you know, the, she has this fantastic shared weight unison choreo bit with the rest of the ensemble during the spoken word section of the duel between Hamilton and Burr, which is striking to watch, and it's amazing. You don't get any of this if you just listen to the sound. No, this is entirely Disney this Plus is... or watching it live. Like you, it's not on the soundtrack at all. Yeah, and this is this is one of the things like there. And for me, just as a lover of music and a lover of the soundtrack, I objectively acknowledge that there's things you miss from not watching it live. But I think that the the show itself is so well written. It's very operatic in a way where you do get most of everything from the soundtrack except for the bullet and Lawrence dying, which for some reason is not on the soundtrack. And I'll never understand that. But anyway, back to the bullet. (laughs) Yeah, she's number one. Great performer, clearly, but also a really clever idea. And I imagine if it wasn't solely the choreographer, had to have been a collaboration, right? Because weaving these ideas in, you know, is is just so, it's so well done. You don't necessarily have to be told by the director, this play is about death, to sit back and go, ah, I know, we need a death character. Like, a a a sympathetic and and wise choreographer can read this script and understand that these thoughts of mortality are important to the rest of the creative team right and so having a physical manifestation of that like the bullet is no surprise to me at all i am however surprised by or remarking on how well it's done and how we get these variances in it being obvious and it being subtle and these like running themes throughout the show they they delight me they really do and you know kudos to uh kudos to Ariana DeBose cuz i think she does a fine job she really does some of her facial expressions oh man way, when and, she is dude, talking to the king about yeah, john adams i it's think so, oh it's my god so it's funny, so right? funny I, I, it's already mm-hmm. like in my mental notes to mention her later because that whole scene where she's laughing with the king is so good. She has such presence. Yeah, yeah she's she's great. noticeable and for sure. She's very talented. Yeah, and that moment I think is very cheekily clever because she's talking to the king, right? And and Adam's presidency was arguably the end of Hamilton's political career. So, like, that's his political death, right? So she, she, she embodies death in multiple forms, not just shuffling off this mortal coil, but also the end of your political yeah, career. Yeah, again, you just don't want to, 
you just don't want to interact with her. You don't want her talking about you. You don't want to look at her, right? You don't. You just don't want to. She's she's bad news bears. Yeah, she's. You know who's who's more dangerous, her or Mariah Reynolds? You know. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, Mariah Mariah Reynolds does a little bit of damage. Uh, sure, <laughs> just a little just bit. Slightly. So speaking of death, though, uh. Shall we shall we duel? Yeah, let's go and let's let's uh, talk about the 10 dual commandments. Now that we finished up stay alive, we are here with the 10 dual commandments, which is just one of the most fun songs in the musical. It's another perfect example of a song that is that needs to give us information duels become very very important later this duel is arguably like low stakes compared to the other duels and that's based on our our relationship with the characters right obviously a duel that involves like a a leading general in the continental army is a huge deal right but we don't really know charles lee that well we know philip later we we know obviously hamilton when he has his duel with burr so we need to know how duels work how they function they're so there, it's one of those things where everyone understands kind of what they are. Like if you just talk to a random person in 2021 and had them explain a duel, they might be able to explain, like, hey, there's two people and they fight it out over whatever. Um, but this song needs to tell us the ins and outs of, of a duel. And they do that very efficiently. It's very, very funny. But also what I, what I really find charming about this song is it it allows the characters to really collaborate with each other. People are not really talking over each other, but they're playing off of each other really well. Some, some of the lines are split in half. So characters are taking different parts of a certain line and it, the, the way it meshes together to create this song is incredible. And honestly, like, is this such a bad way of like, I, I think maybe, I think maybe like the, the stakes need to be a little higher in terms of what, grievances but like look if two people are gonna like shoot each other in a field like i don't know this seems fun to me <laughs> whatever <laughs> bring duels back give that guy a drum bring duels back. this is awesome this is this is awesome this is fun oh man i've had my fill of shooting but all right bring sure. duels. i I'll bring duels back like this is two people just yelling at each other Let's go for a duel. Maybe try and find a way to make it not deadly. I don't know. I like the concept of it. I really like the concept of it. Right? Two people, they have a, a grievance. They, maybe, have a, they have a specific way to just solve that grievance. I think the death part is bad, but I think the idea of a duel is fun. Yeah. Hot take from Bradley. The death part is bad. Love that. <laughs> uh, I think <laughs> it's one thing that... Uh, that I will latch onto there, uh, that you're that you're dancing around is a little it hashtag bit. Hashtag bring it's, duels back. <laughs> yeah, why not? Let's go. Is uh is the, the the part of this social arrangement where you do try to negotiate your way out of it. You do try to, you know, argue in in favor of one position or another to satisfy the challenge to the duel. But isn't it interesting that you have your second do you for it, the do it for you, right? Like you're trying you're trying to avoid actually dueling, but you're having someone else speak for you. I've always found that interesting about dueling protocol. It's like I've I have fought with in been insulted by and insulted this other person so much I can't talk to them anymore. Let me go get my bestie. 
and I'm going to have them talk for me at this point because I'm I'm just done. I can't even look at you anymore. Next time I look at you, I'm going to shoot you. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the takeaways from the song, too, that I had never really thought about is just how how rigorously scripted these duels are. There's a lot of honor that goes into them. There's a lot of rules. And we're going to see later when Philip um, gets shot in his duel, the dude shot early, like he broke the rules. And so there's a lot, but it's the same with the army too. Like in warfare, there's a lot of rules around surrender and retreating and how prisoners need to be taken care of. There's a lot of like social norms and structured all of this. And I find it is one mm-hmm. of the most interesting things when you are learning about duels with this song, because we need to know how they work, just how rigorously scripted they are and how much honor and, and pride and how, how much is the duel almost is insignificant compared to following the rules of the duel. You are 100% correct there. Uh, in fact, part of that, like that whole thing about how like you have to follow these social rules. Um, one of my favorite movies of all time is, uh, is called uh, Sontive. Uh, have you ever heard of this movie Not at by all. any chance? Not even once. Okay. So, so it's, it, Americans might know it as Saint Ives, but it's it's Saint Yves, and it's a, a, the film adaptation of an un like unpublished, unfinished uh, Robert Louis Stevenson novel. But there is this French um, cavalry captain, uh, Jacques de Corral de Saint Yves, and he Jacques is fighting so many duels that he goes and gets a demotion because you can't duel if you're not an officer because enlisted men cannot duel officers and officers can't duel enlisted men. So he wants to be a private again, right? So, oh, but it's, okay. And it's this whole farcical comedy. It's a great movie. I highly recommend it if you can find it. It's very, very funny. But it, like he, he ends up becoming a private again and he becomes a prisoner of war. It's it's very, very silly and very, very funny. But he's so, like, he's doing, like, three duels a day before lunch is the farcical premise of the thing. But, um, but yeah, so it's this whole thing about, like, if you don't follow these rules, right, then you're not a gentleman. You are not a man of station. Uh, because you are not, these are the, the rules society has agreed to. And... You know, you know, I just feel so bad for our boys that they have to have all these rules about fighting, right? You know, like, I think it's good to outline all this social pressure, but you're just being whiny, angry, like, super aggro, super macho, awful guys. It's not, I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm glad the dueling culture has died off, in my personal opinion. Pardon the pun. <laughs> yeah I, again i like the concept though like a socially organized way for two people to sort out disputes kind of on their own again the death is bad i'm gonna stick to that i don't like the murder part of it i think the culture part of it you're hitting on a good note here i think that's probably bad too but there's something here there's something here where when you're watching the ten dual commandments you're like ah, oh, this is reasonable like, yeah, this is cool. Like, you don't watch it and go, oh, the horror. You go, oh, this is fun. That's like, I don't I'm know what saying... I'm, tr- I'm trying to get. Like, when you watch this, though, you don't go, ah, oh, duels are stupid, right? Burr, Burr is kind of the avatar there. But, like, until Burr says that, you're just having a good time watching this thing. I felt the same in Bridgerton. 
when they were having a duel. I mean, the, the premise of why they need to, one of them needs to murder the other one is dumb, right? But the whole time I was like, oh, this is fun. I didn't go in like, oh, the horror. Well, especially when you consider the fact that they share in the show, right? Most disputes die and no one shoots. There's something about the contract of the duel being in place that can lead to arguments actually being resolved out in New Jersey, whereas they wouldn't have been resolved in the city. Yeah, we Hawken want to avoid that field. Especially, uh, you, yeah, you, we, you don't want to go near we Hawken. If you're at, if you made it to we Hawken, that's bad. That's the that's where yeah. I start not liking it. Because <laughs> cause everything's legal in New Jersey. I'm gonna be honest. I've been to Weehawken. It's actually a lovely little city. You know, it's it's a bit blue collar, bit rough and tumble. If that's not your style, you're not gonna you're not gonna love it. I happen to love Wait, it. Built it's up a great a little city culture of people just dying there all the time, like <laughs> crossing it to Weehawken well, and dueling. <laughs> like there's a culture there well, that I think gets built up over time. It's funny. Weehawken is still great for the reason it was great then. It's right across the river. So it's very easy to stay in Weehawken for cheaper and then city in, uh, like spend your day in the city, right? And you just commute in. Um, it's a great way to do vacationing in New York City is to actually stay in Weehawken. Anyway, deep dive. I digress. <laughs> Welcome to Let's Dive Deep Tourism, where we talk about the, 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 uh, the hotel prices in uh, Weehawken. All right. Yeah, um, next uh next episode I'll do my uh my tourist guide to Monmouth. Yeah. <laughs> um all right, most of these rules make sense. The I think what stands out with the rules um aren't the actual rules. Again, we need to know them, but they they make a lot of sense um once you kind of figure out what's going on. What's cool here is the way they're they're told again is just so engaging. The choreography here, the way everyone's kind of spinning around. I keep wanting to call it like a lazy Susan. What is it called on the stage? It's not like a so what not, it, not a turntable. So, like what is it called? I keep forgetting. Yeah, so I mean turntable is fine. There's nothing wrong with turntable at all. What it is, if we want to be specific, it's a concentric revolve. Oh, okay. I guess it with turntable. I'm right? never gonna remember that. And if we want to be even more specific, it's a concentric donut revolve. But that starts to get a little bit redundant. Right? All right, so they're um, on the concentric donut revolve. Yeah. And my <laughs> my analysis of that is that it's it adds to the they obviously it serves a purpose. To me, it seems like one of those things that if you overuse it or use it poorly would be noticeably bad. And so when they're using mm -hmm. it really well, I want to call it out because I think I think when you take a risk like that, it's something so unique and, and something that can really change things up. It, it becomes easier to notice for better or for worse. I think they do a great job here. You've put in your notes the choreography, like the shoulder popping, all of that stuff is so freaking fun. This whole song is just fun mm -hmm. and it's incredible. Um, but yeah, I just want to call out all of the extracurriculars here. Like it's just such a fun song. Yeah, it's also very very unapologetically hip-hop right oh yeah i mean you're this just vibing is... the whole time the whole time yeah it's great it's very aggressive you feel the rhythm you feel the rhyme come on get ready it's dueling time i mean it's just everything about it right just has you in this mode of of challenge and of being the best and protecting your reputation and that's part of the dueling culture 
here is that your honor and your reputation have to be kept intact. And that's that's one reason this show fits so well within hip hop, because that is a culture, a community, an art form in which your rep matters so much as well. You can draw a straight line between this culture and rap battles. And I think we see that reflected later in the cabinet battles. I think that this is one of those like primers, right? For, for getting us ready for the cabinet battles later. And honestly, it's, it, I, I don't know if I've ever thought of this before. I think maybe you, maybe you put this thought in my head today with what you just said about it doesn't seem that bad. This actually seems more civil than the cabinet battles that we see in act two. That's exactly what I'm saying. Like this, other than, again, other than the murder bit, which I want to be clear, I am not a fan of murder and murdering. (laughs) I think murdering is bad. But everything else about this, right? A simple social norm for two people to solve disputes where their honor gets to remain intact. I, I, I think there's something here that's fun and engaging and that we are currently, it feels like when you watch it, like, ah, like again, like something's missing almost like this was so close to being a good idea. And it's, it's not because of the murdering part, but it, 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 there's something, I feel like there's something like I'm almost reminiscing about a time that I didn't live in a little bit here where it's just like, this seems like a fair, at least social norm to follow. If you have a dispute with somebody, maybe we could do it with laser tag. (laughs) <laughs> or like a nerf gun nerf- <laughs> or bowling i don't care Bowl- <laughs> i challenge you to a duel to the alley to the alley <laughs> so uh hamilton here yeah this is a bad uh, idea says, for him i like your take on this. this is a terrible idea for him it's a terrible idea bradley he okay so this is the best part <laughs> can't disobey a direct order <laughs> this is so good and And Washington is right. Let's go ahead and cover that ground first, okay? They're not doing great. Hamilton's super plan is not going well. Maybe they should have gotten a second spy. Uh, (laughs) They needed two spies and six friends. Yeah, yeah, six friends. Maybe Congress shouldn't leave them on red all summer. Um, But, like... Washington is right. Ghosted by Congress over here. We're trying to fight a war, <laughs> Congress. Send the cavalry. Why isn't it coming? That's that, that's what hashtag give this man a drum. Hashtag ghosted by Congress. <laughs> um, but Washington is correct. They have enough problems. They are very much not doing well. And this is really smart abbreviation. And. Again, we see this through all four songs in this section that we're covering today. We get just like the little tip of the iceberg historically. There's a lot more underneath it, but we get all we need to know because there were a lot of people that thought Washington wasn't doing so hot and he wants to keep the peace. And he had reasons to do that. I mean, there were people that were, there was at one point a plot to like supplant Washington. There was a, there was a coup effort that, that was in the works. So you can really understand why Washington would want to keep the peace here. So he tells Hamilton, don't do this. And he does it again in act two. This is where we first see it. Like quit, quit picking fights with people. And, and so Hamilton is like, okay, 
Yes, I won't. Yes, I love you. I love you, War Daddy. I will not do it. Then, so in the good. same breath... It's the dumbest you, thing. He, Yeah, like, okay, I'll be your second. Now, here's the thing. On the surface, on the surface, my initial thought, and I stand by it, I'm glad I put it in the notes, I'm glad I, I, I made you rafflecopter there, but the thing is, like, he's being such a dumbass, saying, okay, I won't do the duel myself, but I'll be the second. Well, what that means is that, like, if something happens and, and things continue, then he could have to compete in the duel himself. Like, if both people, you know. So, but also, here's the more nuanced thing that kind of belies my sarcasm about how did you think this is actually going to go, Hamilton? It is kind of sweet that you hear him say, I can't disobey a direct order. Now, the direct order was, don't do this. So if Lawrence is doing it himself, Hamilton's going to be there for Lawrence. And he's not technically It's very by the, it's by the word of the law, not the interpretation. He doesn't, not, not the intent of the law, just strictly by the word with Hamilton over here. Right, right. And that's, that is very intriguing to me because Hamilton will logic his way around the edges of an issue to get what he wants to happen to happen right his his defendants got acquitted you know what i mean yeah like he'll <laughs> he will find a way to do what he needs to do and so on the one hand yeah i think this is really stupid but also we see the conflict here between hamilton's split loyalty I really do think it's important we acknowledge his split loyalty here because it's important foreshadowing for what the rest of his life becomes, right? So, uh, yeah. So it's a funny moment on one hand because it's so dumb. So But it's stupid. also very sweet. It's also, like, very sweet his loyalty to Lawrence, which, again, like, yes, I, I ship Hamilton and Lawrence. I do. I, I know you don't, and that's okay. I didn't like, say I didn't I, ship I, I them. See... I just said I didn't notice like the 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 detail on the boots. Like I, I didn't watch Hamilton and ever like place those two together. I I'll mm. ship them. I don't mind. I yeah, I'll I'll ship them. Yeah, I think there's a difference between shipping them and like noticing something that Lin Manuel's trying to like sneakily put in there for the people who know, you know? I think there's a difference between the two. We're really racking up our uh well, that's fair. That's fair. But yeah, we're really racking up our disagreements here. Yeah, so many of them. Um, uh, what I like about this is that that it's perfectly Hamilton. It's a dumb choice, right? But it's exactly what Hamilton will do. Based on the character of Hamilton in this musical, right? Based on who we know Hamilton to be from from everything that happened previous to Ten Dual Commandments, of course he's going to participate here. Washington, well, Washington's going to stop him from no. Nah, he has a he has a he has a problem. And he's mm -hmm. a little war hungry and he goes and he confronts it. Of course he's going to participate here. I think, I think that's what's engaging is, is a really stupid choice, but it doesn't come at the expense of anything because that's exactly what Hamilton would do. It's not a, it's like a character informs the plot moment and not a plot informs the character. Hamilton, like he's not in this duel because we need him to be in the duel. He's there because it makes perfect sense for him to be there. Um, so it's a very, it's a very good blending of plot and, and character here for him to do this. Cause of course he would. Of course you would. Now, how does that, what, what you just said, 
brilliant observation about Hamilton's presence in the duel. By the way, I commend you, sir. <laughs> uh, contrast and compare that with Burr's presence in the duel, right? Because if you if you talk about like what plot needs and what character needs, um, now my opinion is that the plot needs Burr to be in the duel, correct? More than Burr needs to be in the duel, absolutely. And I am okay with that. It works, right? It works. So if it's executed, I'm not. What I think I'm trying to get at is it's it's if the plot is informing the characters, that's a very slippery slope. Not that it can never be done well, not that it shouldn't be utilized, right? Sometimes having the plot and what you need out of the to, what like sometimes having what you need to be a good story and molding things to fit within there works really well, right? Mm-hmm. Most of the time, mm-hmm. you need your characters. To, to inform the plot because what they need to do makes sense. It's part of why so many people have a problem with the Game of Thrones ending. I'm not going to spoil anything, but it's not that the ending itself, if you just wrote down what was going to happen, was particularly terrible. It was that they had the ending and they were just making the characters do things the characters would never do to get there. And this is like, so it's it, when it's properly utilized, like here, just one time to, to make the story better. We already know who Burr is. Um, it's a worse story if we don't put Burr in here. It gives us a chance to have Burr and Hamilton have another altercation. It's very effective. It's just a very, it's not even utilized often in, in Hamilton. It's a very slippery slope when you're having your characters just be where you need them to be because you need them to be there and not because it's something the character would do. I do think, though, that, that Burr, like, it, it just didn't happen like this in real life, but it's not out of the realm of possibility that Burr would do this. I never saw this and went, oh, they put Burr in here and that sucks because Burr would never do this. I, I, I think it makes sense. I do too. I really like it. I, I, I like it on all levels, especially because we have a duality of duels at this point. We have two duels but with Hamilton and Burr. It's just like, again... They put a pun buried in the makeup of, of the show. It yeah. cracks me up every time. They Some of the lines also fit the characters really, really well, right? And mm-hmm. I like how Burr just shows up and he's like, like earlier when the lads are all drinking, they're like, ah, boo, Burr, you're no fun. Get out of here, right? Burr shows up to be like the, the scolding parent, like, Hamilton, can we agree that these are dumb and immature? Like, he's there. He's mm-hmm. the no fun no whatever he's just there to ruin a good time like burr get out of here we've got this sword we're gonna shoot this guy like go away right and he's there and then hamilton's like sure but your man has to answer for his words like he's like get out of here dude like i just want to shoot this guy like right and so i like how it fits the characters really well to give them the lines that they get because we need an avatar here to be like hey these things are dumb duels are dumb right this whole thing is stupid and we need a person to do that but no better person than burr there's good writing, but there's allocation of the writing is important as well. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I'm honestly really glad you brought that up. I don't I don't think that is possibly something that we haven't talked about enough or a lot so far, but there's there's lines of dialogue in this show. Well, we talked about a little bit uh talking about Burr's description of Hamilton. We have covered it a little bit. But there are lines in this show that would be radically different given to another character, right? And I think that this is an instance of having having Burr here, you know, and talk about the protocol of dueling. And he's so about the status quo and the way things are done. And this is just, you know, like you can totally believe, well, of course, Burr would be at the 
at the duel. Eh, dueling is something we do. That's fine. But Hamilton, like you're, he's almost that line that you mentioned. Your man has to answer for his words, Burr. That's almost a challenge to Burr. Oh, absolutely. Hamilton's right? like, get out of here, dude. Uh, we are shooting this guy today, and you're not like yeah. he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He Hamilton's on a mission. It's perfectly Hamilton. That's who he is. He once he has his mission, he's going for it. And he will, he will, he will, if he needs to, shoot Charles Lee. He does not mind. Right? Later he's gonna say John should have shot him in the mouth. Like he's he's in on this, and Burr is in the way, and he doesn't right. like that. And just the the capitulation from Burr, the giving up, just like the okay, so we're doing this. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> like, it's, it's it, but it's perfect for the characters. Cause when Hamilton says, like, your man has to answer, he's not like he's not being aggressive about it he's being like he's almost like making fun of burr right he's saying in like a almost like a humorous kind of chortling kind of way like but your man mm-hmm. like he's leaning back he's smiling he's not right he's just he's just cocky confident hamilton i think uh, i think mm, mm, i do think there is something There is something, and I'll admit, this is Disney Plus recording slash watching it live only. There is something about the take to Burr. There is something about Lynn's expression. There is, there's a threat on that face that I honestly appreciate. It's veiled, though. There, I think maybe that's the point I'm trying to make. Is the threat isn't the oh yeah the threat yeah, yeah. isn't the okay. like the yeah. the humorous like smiling, leaning back, confident, cocky bit is the outwardly facing bit. The threat's a hundred percent there. It's just it, what I'm trying to say is it's veiled behind that, right? The threat isn't yeah. the the threat isn't the number one thing he's saying. It's veiled behind the 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 way he wants to present himself in this duel no i'm with you there i think that it's definitely like the outward presence is is more jovial and humorous i like that i like all of that uh partly because hamilton was a very aggressive guy um one thing i love about this and the choices made in act two regarding room where it happens um is that hamilton wanted to duel with madison after uh the reynolds information came out and does not does not surprise me (laughs) yeah because uh because hamilton thought it was madison that like leaked all the info and he was like he was literally gunning for madison and burr stopped him burr was not a very aggressive dude he was a he was a gentleman right and uh (laughs) I I really like seeing that part of Hamilton's very aggressive personality here, and Burr just being like, "Huh, well, okay, well, we gotta have a duel because it's part of society." Right, fine. Just uh, the way he I, gives I just, up is so funny. Like, ah, oh, fine. We're yeah. Doing it. Okay, so we're doing this. It's just, and it's also like, I'm sorry, but his his cavalier attitude in that line. Okay, so we're do that. It seems simple, but this, uh, similar to what you're saying about uh, Lin-Manuel and how he delivers simple lines in a way that no one else can do, for me, Leslie James Odom says, okay, so we're doing this. His casual apathy leads me to believe 
that Aaron Burr does not give a shit who's alive or dead at the end of the day. Oh yeah, I, I don't, um, I don't think he cares. Yeah, it's just like, all right, we're having a duel. If you, if you die, if, if you, you must die, die I suppose. Yeah, like I'm like I know that Destiny has something in store for me. I'm willing to wait for it. If Destiny has nothing for you, then you're going to die today. I'm just like, let's let's go. Can we and also I'm hungry. Like can we get this over with? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there's a few things. There's two more things quick I want to mention um before I think I'm ready to move on from 10 Dual Commandments. First is I just want to call out the line here. Um, look him in the eye, aim no higher, summon all the courage you require. Mm-hmm. I want to call it out for two reasons. The efficiency, the efficiency of which it's much like the lines um, in the earlier songs we talked about, like death doesn't discriminate between the sinners and the saints. And that kind of, that kind of theme that was running through very simple lines, but they, they, for the amount of words in them, they stir up a lot of emotion. Right? Like, those mm-hmm. are the lines that add the, um, like, we're talking about adding humor, we're talking about lighting and choreography, but something needs to, you need to have the emotional impact. And some of that comes with the stakes, who's in the duel, who could die, and all of that. But some of that comes with the dialogue. And I, every time I, every time I hear the, the first rendering of this line in the play, it kind of loses it for me a little bit later um, in terms of the emotional impact of hearing it, because there's just more going on. But the first time you hear it, like, look them in the eye, aim no higher, summon all the courage you require. You're like hyped up. You're like slamming back mm-hmm. energy drinks ready for this duel. It's incredible. I also want to call this line out because um, Hamilton is the one that delivers look him in the eye, aim no higher. And then frequently either himself or through aim his, no higher, right? Or through himself or through his advice frequently tells people to just aim at the sky, like aim higher. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's a contradiction here where he's saying not to aim higher and, and frequently does not take that advice. And so I just wanted to call that out for those two reasons. Cause I think it's a really interesting bit of dialogue that I don't want to overlook. I think it's interesting too. I think it is a feature, not a bug. I think what's happening here is Hamilton is outlining for us what the rules of society are. I think that we're meant to think it's impressive or noteworthy or something that he has a different tactic, right? Like, this is the status quo. This is what everyone does when they do. I, Hamilton, however, when I do, I will refuse to take your life, right? I think, I think that's kind of what's, what's going on there. Yeah, it's an interesting character thing too because like you get the sense here Hamilton really wants to shoot Charles Lee, but then later when he's in duels, he won't shoot Burr later, which is it's just interesting to track now that he's said this line because I think there's a lot going on with this line that's that you have to kind of dive deep into maybe um to to see it to see it um kind of bloom or blossom throughout the rest of the the musical. The last thing I want to talk about. I should have put mm-hmm. this in the notes and I didn't. And I apologize for that. How absurd is it? How absolutely absurd is it that they have the doctor turn around so they can have deniability, right? How, what is, what is that conversation like? Uh, so doctor, were you at the duel today? It's like, ah, no, I was just standing in the field and I was just looking at the trees. I don't know. There was something behind me. Maybe I heard something, but I, I don't know. I wasn't like, what? Like what kind of, what is this? Like, so you have the doctor. And the difference for his soul or something, right? Maybe it's like an internal thing. The doctor knows this is illegal or whatever. But if he just turns around and he's just looking at the field, 
instead of like staring at the duel, then he's somehow moral morally forgiven for participating. I have no idea how this works. I have no idea how anyone ever justified this to themselves, right? Like, right? Maybe it's like a very godly thing to to be like, hey. If I participate in here, I'm going to hell or whatever. So this is their way of like not sinning, but also the way of not breaking the law. There's a bunch of different ways this could go, but this is absurd. This is so dumb. What? That makes no sense to me. I don't get it. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know. There's, uh, there's, so on the one hand, yes. Like if you're, okay, did you receive an invitation to the duel? I did. Did you attend the duel? I did. Were you present when the duel occurred? I was. <laughs> this is what uh, I mean. Like, what? Do you know what happened? No, I, I no, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. So there's so there's there's that. And but I'm then you, you but then you treat the wounded person. Right? Like right. you literally the only part you don't watch is the shooting part. Because that's the like I don't know. I don't know. I don't get it. I think you just lie and say you've got the fastest horse in the tri-state area, right? <laughs> um I don't know. I only know two things. Number one. <laughs> If if any of that is part of it, then the doctor is technically correct. He did not witness the duel. He cannot testify about the duel. He's technically correct. He wasn't there. Or he didn't witness it, right? Which, as we all know, being technically correct is the best form of being correct. The only other thing I know about the doctor, and this is if you're watching the Disney Plus version, um... That's one sexy doctor. Oh, he's he's good looking. He has a few roles. One second, I'm pulling it up on that Disney is... Plus right now. Um, is this this? I think this is the same guy. Where is he? I'm finding him. This that is, is a this is quality content. Yeah, that is a that is a built physician. Yeah, he he has a few roles. He's a good looking doctor. I can't I can't find the exact timestamp in Disney Plus right now. But yeah, he's a good looking doctor. Yeah. All right, are we are we good for ten dual commandments? Do you have anything else? Yeah, yeah, I'm I, I'm good. I'm. You it's know, one of those songs. Break. Get, what's what's I'm good is we have thirsty. What's good is we have two <laughs> more duels. If I miss anything here that I wanted to talk about, all right. Um, we will be back in just a moment with "Meet Me Inside." Meet Me Inside, a very different vibe compared to some of the songs that we just got here. It's a very simple premise to a song. Not a lot going on. Music's pretty simple for parts of it. Just two characters having a chat on the stage. I, I really like the, the premise of this song. Washington uh, needs to uh, scold Hamilton um, for, for disobeying his orders, uh, making a lot of good points in the process, but I kind of wanted to start here with just that initial premise. I really noticed the lighting in this song um, and the way mm, Hamilton is mm -hmm. well lit yeah. in the middle of, uh, not even in the middle of the stage. He's kind of slightly off to the side, mm -hmm. but Washington's even farther off to the side than him, not lit as well. And when Hamilton is addressing Washington, he's mostly just speaking directly facing the audience. Like he is not really mm -hmm. acknowledging washington directly face to face he he it feels very like childish like he's being he's like a, a child getting scolded how they don't look at you right um but also like a, a very like what's the word i'm looking for confident like i did what i did like john should have shot him in the mouth like i'm not sorry for this yeah he doesn't back down he stands his ground you know he's firm in his opinion and he's 
he's making his own his his defense, right? He's defending himself. And your note about the lighting here, for me, this very much feels like Hamilton's being he's on trial here, right? Uh, it was Lawrence that was actually doing the duel. I was just the second, okay? I didn't like. I didn't actually do the duel. I was just Lawrence's second. Lawrence, my best friend. Like, but but we don't like. He doesn't make any excuses. He just stands there, faces forward, takes his licks, and defends himself. And honestly, I think that the way it's lit, I think that that speaks to that very very well, right? Because we get to see him full face, full open, and we're just getting him like full out and and honest bearing himself right we don't get that from washington we don't know what's coming from washington cuz he's lurking a bit he's he's pacing moving downstage left on the edge of the stage just like you astutely noticed and commented yeah and we don't know we don't we don't know what washington is going to do with hamilton's explanation i think that it is as dynamic a song in the show as it is simple. Like it is, it is very important and impactful, but, but not because it's like crazy all over the stage and huge and big. Like the stakes are big. And also but the, the number itself, very small, right? The way the music does like those, I, I call, I don't know anything about music. So I just call it like a heartbeat, but like the do do with like a pause. And then another like do do mm-hmm. like it it really ratchets up the tension and the suspense there. Mm-hmm. Also, because you brought it up, think about that right that that refrain while well, bump, and then remember that something similar happens during the reprise of "Stay Alive." Yes, Philip. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, it's just something that it's, it's a simple it, little uh, bit. It it feels to mm-hmm. me like a heartbeat, but like I don't know. Anyways, it just stands out here. When things are simple, naturally they're easier to kind of pull apart and 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 notice. And so the the beat here, less is more with this one for sure. Less is more being used Absolutely. effectively here. I wanted to mention Philip there so that I could try to come up with a clever segue into your thoughts about the use of sun here. But I didn't come up with anything clever, so I just obliquely just said what I was doing, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, this, but I really, this took I, me a I while. I think that it's really worth talking about for a long time. This took me a while, and I'm still mm-hmm. not sure. This just seems like a very primal, like I, so. So I'm just gonna. So what I'm talking about specifically is the use of the word "sun," and that Hamilton hates it, and he keeps going back to it. Right, like every time Washington mm-hmm. says the word "son," it seems to strike even a bigger, like like it, almost Hamilton doesn't even care that he's on trial or whatever with Washington for yeah. the duel. Like this is what really bothers him, and I don't know if it's just he's mad, so everything Washington does makes him angry, which happens IRL, so that makes sense to me. I don't know if it's something to do with his father running away, um, so he's making a "You're not my dad." type of distinction i i I don't know exactly what it is and i think that's great that i can't know exactly and that it's just hamilton is just going for it um but it's very interesting how much offense he takes to this like screaming in washington's face at the end 
Like, the last thing you want to do if you're in the Continental Army and want to stay out of trouble is scream in Washington's face. Yeah, that says a lot here. Just him doing that, right? That's doing a lot of work. It's like a primal just anger. I, mm-hmm. I, I I like that I can't figure out exactly what is causing him to be so angry because it, it adds the complexity to it um, without making it unbelievable. Um, but it's just worth bringing up because there's a lot going on there for sure. Yeah, and I love it for that. Number one, as I attempted to unpack this to, to prepare my notes, first of all, I I think that by calling Hamilton son, that's reducing Hamilton to a lesser stature, uh, to a to a childlike stature. And Hamilton wants to always be moving up. I think that he looks to Washington as a father. I think that Washington looks at Hamilton and other people in the army as his family. But Hamilton resents the idea that he will always be a child, be younger than, be lesser than. He's always got to be moving up. Number two, I think that he's still struggling mentally and emotionally with not having a field command of his own, which comes up in the song. Yeah, he's definitely still mad about that. Absolutely. Right. And then the third thing, honestly, I think is he's really frustrated with being dressed down and he's he's frustrated with being admonished by someone that he can't even admit he looks up to so much you know if he he never had a group of friends before right how good must it feel to now have someone a father figure like this that trusts him so much right even the show says daddy's calling that informs us as to what their relationship is and it's not it's not that hard to to it's not that far of a leap it's not that much conjecture to go to because right uh seated at the right hand of the father daddy's calling and also he he washington referred to his war cabinet as his family he loved these men he was he was very affectionate towards them so to be to be so loved by someone and then to have them rail at you like this. I, 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 yeah, it's, it's putting Hamilton in a place. Now I think similar to how flummoxed we discussed Angelica was during satisfied. I think that Hamilton being a mix of shit here (laughs) is on purpose and totally great. Such a good phrase. A mix of shit. I like that. He is, though, oh, right? Totally. Like, He's a mess. He's a complete mess. Yeah, so you... So you, like, you being able to uh, specifically pinpoint exactly what's going on here, I don't think that's the point. I think the point is, he's a wreck. Now, all of that being said, I have noticed, because I've only watched the Disney Plus version a couple times, uh, The watching the Disney Plus version has mostly been, like, trying to prepare for this podcast because I noticed by and large, like you come from the plus version more so than I do. So I'm trying to meet you where you are. Right. Oh, I'm almost, almost exclusively the plus version. I've only like how like, yeah. like, you see it live and it's your first time seeing it. You can't even keep half of that in your head for very long. 
Right, right, for sure. Yeah, but for me, it's the soundtrack, right? So I'm trying to meet you where you are by watching the plus version more. Right. Anyway, gotcha. so so watching the plus version more, I notice that Hamilton is well, and this is this is the thing about live theater. You're gonna have nights where it's different than other nights, just because like sometimes you experiment, and sometimes you just have a bad night, or you have a different night, or you have a better night. Doesn't matter. Anyway, so. On the Disney Plus version, Lynn's performance is much more emotional and and it seems more emo- like volatile. It seems more fragile when he's with Washington than it does on the cast recording. And that volatility and that being on the verge of collapse that he seems to be, it makes Washington feel much more fatherly. And it makes him sending Hamilton away to be much more an act of generosity than punishment. Because Lin-Manuel in this scene, I I honestly think he does a really good job of being compromised and vulnerable and weak. He is not doing well. He's he's on the verge of court-martial, in my opinion. He he disobeyed a direct order. He said he couldn't do it, and then he went and fought. Well, that's did. the whole thing. That's but that's now, weird. Like when Hamilton's trying to figure out why is Washington so mad? Like why do you think Hamilton? Mm-hmm. Like the, like the part of the whole premise of this song is Washington's totally right to be doing this. Like Hamilton, like Washington is correct here, and Hamilton's the one that's wrong. It gives me a lot of like teenager vibes when te- when everyone's a teenager and they just think they know everything about the world. I was one of those teenagers too, and they're like, "Why won't you listen to me? Why aren't my thoughts important? Why doesn't mm-hmm. I want to shoot Charles Lee? Why can't that be a fun thing to do?" Right? It has the all of the that air of like just kind of being a teenager i guess to it but like i I just what what did hamilton think could possibly happen if he went and did that duel it's the same thing you brought up like this is just a natural response from washington nicer like like you're saying like nicer even than it would be if it was anyone else absolutely i i i just i i feel this like all 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 of that is true all of it i have a i have a take for you i feel this oh sorry well i i no, no, no! It's, it's fine. It happens. We both get excited yeah. because we, we we love this and each other oh so much. <laughs> the thing is, I just like there's this thing about the soundtrack recording where this song is much more regimented and polished, right? It's less energetic. It's less emotional. I wonder if it's something about doing this live right or if it was just them where they were in the run where they had taken it to a more emotional place when they recorded it for disney plus it it's so much more sympathetic so much more emotional on the filmed recording where it looks like hamilton is having a nervous breakdown because he like I was trying to protect your name, dude. I was this trying is to my help hot, you. This is my hot take. This is not a hot take. This is my take. Is that that's always felt super, not insincere, but like just complete projection to me from Hamilton. And I don't know if I meant to take it that way. Hamilton is, like, he is, like, it's, it, there's, two, there's two times this happens in this song to me, right? There's two different things going on. 
right? I is, don't have your name. I don't have your status. Yeah, is is Hamilton genuinely trying to defend Washington's honor from these people who rake it through the mud? Possibly, right? But he's he is doing it. It's I don't know if the word projections right because that's what he wants. He's I got he he was protecting the name and the honor of that position because when he's in that position, that's what he wants for himself. And and doing it to protect Washington is like a happy little side effect. The same way when Washington sends Hamilton home, right? He in at least the play version of this has a letter from Eliza, she's pregnant, right? He's probably looking for an excuse to send him home anyway. And so why why not let this be the excuse? And I think it's the same kind of thing going on where it's like on the face of it, Hamilton's defending Washington's honor, but I think he's mostly doing it for more selfish reasons than that. At least that's how I have always interpreted it. Well, first of all, we're going to talk about that letter. Second of all, I think that that's the most accurate take. And I think that's the take that's most loyal to the version of Hamilton that we're presented with in this show. It's not a stretch on your part. I don't think you're going out on a limb because Hamilton says, I don't have your name. I don't have your reputation. All right. He, he comes just shy of saying, look, Georgie, I'm using you to establish my reputation. Oh, it's very, it's I not mean, even thinly veiled. Right, like he yeah, he wants an army yeah. to make a station for him, so he wants a command not to be a commander of men, but because that results in him having a station after the war. He's not; it's not even that veiled. Yeah, he wants to use Washington as a vehicle to rise above his station, and I mean, on the one hand, like I guess we gotta admire his candor with Washington here. I guess. You know, when he just explicitly says, I don't have your name, I don't have your titles, I don't have your land. But if you gave me a troop to command, like, but implied in that, implied in that is the suggestion that Hamilton is saying, I sought to preserve your name because of how being associated with your name reflects upon myself. That's exactly it. And that's so shitty. Yeah, but it's it's true to life. Like life, like like I said earlier, like life happens almost exclusively in the gray. Right? There are no there are no purely good people and purely bad people. Good people do bad things all the time. Bad people do good things all the time. And good and bad are just a perspective anyway. So everything happens in the gray. Which makes it believable because people do that all the time in real life. I do it all the time, right? If I'm at work, right, and someone's really bothering me and I need to figure some way to do it, right? If they happen to do something else wrong and it gives me that inroad, that's helpful to me. Is it fair all the time? No, but that's how people operate in real life is there's always levels to their choices, some of them selfish, some of them not. So it's really true to life to me that Hamilton would defend his honor for all of the the noble reasons, but also because he's selfish and wants, right? People are greedy. Like, that's how life works. And so I think it's true to life for Hamilton here to be to be doing it for, for kind of dual purposes, um, if it can suit him. That makes sense to me. I agree. And honestly, it's all very interesting to me. I'm also curious, uh, do you want to... Do you want to unpack any more about I am more than willing to die? 
from Hamilton here, especially because I think that it's kind of for me, uh, it's it's interesting having that immediately precede the transition into that would be enough. I it's part it's part part of it's like I I do want to unpack it more. Part of it's like we already know this about Hamilton. He's he he earlier we talked about how he has dreams of dying like a martyr. Like we already know this about him and he's like to me it's just part of it. He's having a little fit right now, so he's just yelling things we already know at Washington. Like he, he has already told this to Washington. He is more than willing to die in this war. He doesn't care if he dies Right, he's either gonna die on the battlefield in glory or rise up. Those are his two options. He doesn't seem to really care which one happens. Like he will die or he will rise up, but he will do one of those things. And so he's just reiterating to Washington here. I don't think like emotionally there's much more to unpack than we we talked about the last couple times. I do find it interesting though that he just keeps saying it. Like Washington doesn't understand. I think it's interesting how he challenges Washington with this, among other things. Like I like I am more than like I'm begging you, give this to me. Like I need it, I want it. But if if George Washington has made up his mind, like and also Hamilton doesn't have a bad job. I'm probably going to keep coming back to this. Hamilton is arguably, possibly the second most important man in the American war effort, and he's still begging for more. He's nonstop. I know this is true to character. But, man, it just makes me so tired. Like, dude, be grateful for what you've got, man. Come on. <laughs> yeah, but but again, like, there's so many dual purposes here. Because Hamilton's also correct. He can be, during the war, you can be the second most important person. That doesn't get you shit at the end. Who cares? Right? He'd be the 50th yeah. most important person. Right? If being in a battle and commanding men will give him more after the war than being the second most important person, but writing letters and no one cares about you when it's over, then he'll take the other option. Like I had totally, all the character motivations line up for me here, right? Cause you're right. He they has do. it good, but Burr also has a good later. And that's not going to be good enough for Burr. The dude's a freaking vice president. Like he's doing okay. Right. It's not where he wanted to be, but he's doing fine. And yet Burr does what Burr does. So I, I think these character motivations are, are lining up. Hamilton's in a great spot, but it's not the spot he wants to be in. So he's going to keep shooting generals i guess until he gets oh i know it's perfectly in line with his character i wouldn't feel so frustrated if it wasn't so accurate a representation i think it does fit it is frustrating though you're like hamilton just shake give yourself a shake dude like come on things are going okay it begs the question for a person like hamilton what would be enough all right yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Before uh-huh. we move on, though, before we move on, that was brilliant. I just want to highlight. I think the most important part of this song. There's nothing mm-hmm. else more important than the use of the word uh, "battalion" again. I think this for is, the love. I think the w- use of the word "battalion" instead of "flotilla" here is perfect and incredible. And just if you gave me a battalion, a group of men to lead. Oh, the power there. Sorry, we can move on now. Unless you want a flotilla response. I quit. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> Let's dive to you. is over. I've, <laughs> I've, we're going back into the, the, the depths of our biggest disagreements on this podcast. You don't have an artillery flotilla, Bradley. He was an artillery captain. So obviously he would say battalion. Whereas 
the king of the British Empire upon which the sun never set. Oh no, I don't have the knowledge. Because it was a global I got, entity I got myself would send into a flotilla. Ar- Connor, I got myself into an argument that I was not prepared for. I am a man with a shovel, and all I know how to do is dig. <laughs> You've won. I quit. I don't I don't know the distinctions between these words well enough. Uh, well, let us reread the first law of holes and then stick some music into this episode and then <laughs> go on to song four. Right, we're moving on. <laughs> Philip Sue, back in our lives again. Incredible, as always. Um, this is such a beautiful song. Washington, or not Washington, uh, Hamilton gets sent home. By Washington. Again, Washington uh, needs to find a reason to send him home. Ends up with Hamilton screaming in his face. How lucky is that? So now he has a good reason to send Hamilton home. And the the first interaction with him and Eliza, this whole song is beautiful, um, is that he's finding out that Eliza wrote a letter to Washington, like begging him to send, um, (laughs) begging washington to send hamilton home and what i like about this is hamilton has that little moment of betrayal but like that oh i'm gonna it's very well acted um he has that little moment of betrayal and eliza's like i'm not sorry like i like look man like you need to be a father to this child i don't really care about your purpose in the war right now right so it's all very true to the characters here it's just beautiful um but that little moment of like betrayal, but then the the excitement of being a father, and then the existential the existential crises that are happening in his brain about not being able to provide for his wife—it's just all beautifully kind of amalgamated together. Yeah, I unfortunately have a less romantic response here. I think the song is beautiful, as you said. I I think it's very well crafted and very well performed and once again i am annoyed by hamilton complaining about his status in life eliza is already on board hamilton has sealed the deal yeah she's all in now like this is where she's we all she's all in on him yeah and she loves him so much i mean that is so palpable throughout this entire number She's crazy about Hamilton. This this whole song, right? Can you imagine how different his life would have been if he had actually listened to her <laughs> and what she says here, right? First of all. But second of all, yes, it is all very sweet. It is all very wonderful. Um, I love I-, I love what you're what you're saying about Eliza. I'm not sorry. She's not like, sorry. I love that. Good. Like, you shouldn't be. I- I, yeah, and I don't, I think I've always felt that a little bit. I don't know if I focused on it at all until just hearing you say that just now. Because her taking her time, because there's a little, like, there's a little lift and lilt and scoop on I'm. Like, she takes her time saying, I'm not sorry. Yeah, and it's an immediate response. She relishes in it. Yeah. yeah, she's not. So I, I, I like that. She shouldn't be. Good for her. Right. And uh, she's not wrong. I knew you'd fight until the war was done, but you deserve a chance to meet your son. What we learn about Hamilton throughout this show is that he is focused on what he is doing and he is focused on his work 
and he is focused on his endeavors and his advancement through life. And when it comes to family, now let me be careful here because I I do believe he honestly loves Eliza. The show tells me that deeply. Like he makes mistakes, but love and sex are complicated things. Mariah Reynolds can exist and he can love Eliza. Oh, right? the, the, yes. the thing is, it's yeah. He he yeah, right? He loves Eliza deeply, but he has to be reminded. He has to has have his attention directed back. And I love that she doesn't apologize for that, saying, "Look, you are you are a great horse. You are a thoroughbred, but in order to have you stay on the marriage track, I had to put some blinders on you." Yeah. So, um you're here now. <laughs> and then in, in a few songs, once the war's won, he's going to rip his hand out of Eliza's and he's going to march up some stairs and listen to absolutely none of what she has to say. <laughs> yeah, he'll do that. If I may, just for a second. You may. Of course you may. The, the whole letter thing um, sometimes takes me out of the show because there's no way in which the situation is good. Okay, no, no matter what actually happens, the situation that the show presents us with is not good. Number one, okay, the letter. So she's writing to General Washington, and we also understand that Hamilton has taken over all of Washington's correspondence. He tells us this himself. Now, it's possible that she wrote Washington before Hamilton took control of things. That's entirely possible. So maybe Eliza is writing Hamilton's boss directly. That's what I was going to say. She so, probably, like, whoever her messenger is, I mean, pretty has to be a pretty high-ranking person, but she probably has the influence, like, as a Skylar, to be like, hey, can you deliver this directly to Washington? Entirely possible, right? So then, so if you understand that that's possible, cool. Then you get over the, like, well, why didn't Hamilton, like, oh, get the letter? I, but, you know, that's so, a, so that's, you get over that, It's a real right? stats are for nerds moment for me. I don't care. I, it doesn't. No, it is. Yeah, yeah. That's a very, like, Star Trek instead of Star Wars moment. Absolutely. But here's, but here's the other thing. I wrote to the general a month ago. So Washington could have at least, like, this, like, was he truly, as you said, was he truly looking for a reason to send Hamilton home? And this duel and argument like this was the reason to do so? Like, was Washington just thinking, man, it's first trimester, I'll wait. Like, what's the, like... Oh, I think there's a way. lot going on here. So I think the month part... It's not good. I think I think the <laughs> month part here is important because, like, I wrote a month ago. Like, how long does it take, like, in in... In like this time when you're using horses for everything, uh, how long does it actually take? Where is it? Like you just don't have enough information. Like how long does it take? A, if it takes a week for the letter to arrive, and a week mm -hmm. for Hamilton to come back, right? Then you have two weeks of Washington's doing over this decision. So the timeline makes sense to me because these letters aren't delivered like emails. They take forever to get around. Um, but for Washington here, I think there's probably if you were to write like an addendum to the play that went way more in depth on everything, like this is a tough choice because you can't, you can't look at all your men who aren't getting paid properly by Congress and who are on rations and go, yeah, like my, the second most important person here is having a kid and he's got a wife from a rich family. So we're going to let him go luxuriate 
And like everyone is also missing their families. Like, you can't just do that, I don't think. Like how do you do how do you send Hamilton home to see his kid, but also like go to your other soldiers who all have families and tell them they can't? Like I I, I think it's a I think there's a lot going on. That's why I think he's looking for a reason. Cause I don't think he can just send Hamilton home. I think if he has like, hey, Hamilton screamed in my face and that's bad. I think I think I think he just wouldn't have, to be honest. I think he probably wouldn't have sent Hamilton home had that not happened. Because I, I don't think you can explain that to the rest of the army very well. Yeah, I think that's a really good view of things, right? Because you can, it's very easy to think of furlough as vacation. I mean, they're almost synonymous, right? Yeah, so but it's, not, was, it's just not that, available equally. Like, not every, like yeah. everyone else who's have, whose wives are pregnant, like, fuck off, they're fighting. Like, they don't get to go home yeah. for this. Like, it, I, I think it's a tough sell for probably an already upset army. Also, it's a com- oh, it's a confidence were, thing. Like sure. everyone else knows who Alexander Hamilton is. Like if the general is sending his best people home, right? Like what does it say about the confidence he has? Like there needs to be a good reason to send him home, and I think he finds it accidentally, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot going on here. If you just added the context to it, <laughs> that I think makes it really hard for Washington to send this guy home. Yeah, you're making a really uh, big point for humanizing Washington here, and and in a way, Hamilton, although the show humanizes him more than Washington, but there's there's something there about, like, you know, you get a vacation, right, which would agitate the crowd that uh, you're nothing without Washington behind, right? Like, there's there's that at play there, too. Um, very uh, Very succinct observations from you. That is uh, all more elegantly put than me just being bothered by how did Hamilton not just see the letter? You know? <laughs> yeah, it's just, it, I think it's one of those things, like for me, stats are for nerds. It doesn't take me out of it. If you think about it hard enough, I'm sure maybe it doesn't make sense, but I just, I choose not to think about it, if I'm being honest. It's one of those things that only, like, I only started thinking about maybe yesterday or today, but it's just like, is this, like, the, I feel like there's something here worth discussing, because either way, like, there's there's stuff here that is bad on both guys' part, because, like, everyone's she, everyone's in the gray, baby. Everyone's in the gray. Everyone's in the gray, except for Eliza, and I think in my own, like, really clunky, stupid way, that's what I'm trying to say, because she <laughs> begged washington to send him home she did try to tell him right i knew you would fight until the war was done but you deserve a chance to meet your son that is what she said so can i play devil's advocate here on eliza i agree with you but i do want to play the devil's advocate here because i think it's important let's go what happens so you're eliza you obviously Mm -hmm. care love your husband deeply and you want him to meet his son and obviously you probably don't want to go through this pregnancy and birth and and raising a kid alone and all of that stuff oh i don't i don't i i do love my husband very much but also keep in mind that it's also my first child so that's adding a little yeah yeah. so So, eliza's perfectly correct i'm on edge yeah Yeah. (laughs) eliza's perfectly correct in wanting hamilton to come home sending the letters all of that stuff but i do think right there is a devil's advocate point here so you're eliza you call your husband is the second most important person or a very important person, right? You call Hamilton home. You get to, he's there. He's raising your kid. He's there at the birth. Everything's great. Everything's awesome. And then what happens is they, the, you lose the war. You lose the war. Now you're outlaws. I don't even know how that would have worked, right? 
And you have to live the rest of your life going, I wonder what would have happened if I had let the one of the most important people in the war effort stay in the war effort. Like, would we have won? Like, I think this only looks really good for Eliza because they end up winning. I think there's a lot more gray here if they end up losing. In either case, a very human moment from Eliza that I think is well-earned anyway. But I do think there's that devil advocate here that it's one of those things that in hindsight you get to you get to take Eliza's position a little easier because they won. But if they had lost and Hamilton was just at home, right? What does what does the other people in the Continental Army think about that? I don't think that goes over too well. Okay. I'm not devil's, saying I agree with that. Devil's advocate. I'm not saying I agree with that take. I'm just playing the devil's advocate because I think there is a reasonable devil's advocate there that if they had lost the war, this would have been a tough we would have we wouldn't look back on it quite as I mean, this play wouldn't exist, but whatever. That's, I, I, I don't, I, I don't, I, I don't disagree. It's an, it's an interesting alternative POV. I'm just saying, angels advocate, devils, devils advocate, whatever. Yeah. Um, we have already spent a fair amount of time admitting that Hamilton was important, not only to the war effort, but to Washington specifically. However. His plan wasn't working, so would removing him from the war be that bad of a thing to do? I mean, his, his, <laughs> mu- okay, his musical plan doesn't work. It, right, in real right, life, right. In real, oh, so in real life, Hamilton... Okay. In real life, Hamilton's not... Like, it, the, the plan is only funny because in the musical, they make it really dumb. Right? Like, it's right, not, right. What's funny is that in the musical, he's like, I got three friends and a spy, and it was going to be great. Right, I'm sure that's not what's happening in real life here. So, the, oh, okay. So this is this is another instance where, interestingly, you are taking us out of the play, and I'm staying in it. That's what's that's what's interesting to me, and I agree with you. Like, had like Eliza does have to hedge her bets a little bit and kind of respect how important her husband is, and she probably would, right? Because she grew up the daughter of General Philip Schuyler. So, assuming that you're talking about uh, Eliza IRL, uh, I'm with you there, for sure. Actually, yeah. Sure, I'll make that distinction too. Yes, in in the play, taking Hamilton out of the war effort, not as big of a deal. That's in real life, for sure. Hamilton's (laughs) not exactly. He stole some cannons. That was cool. They cut supply Mm -hmm. lines and stole some contraband. That was good. He's done some good things. It's not, it's not all raise the glass. Yeah, yeah. I just think his plan in the musical version was bad. Too simple. Far too simple. It was not great. <laughs> um and yet he's he's desperate to get back to it. You know, like she's she's talking about look at look at what she says to him. We are so lucky to be alive. First of all, great musical conceit calling back to look around, look around, how like like yeah. it's like this is what's important to her. What's important to her is family. And his response is the war's not done. The war's not over. Like I I I gotta get back, right? Yeah. I, I, I just understand where Hamilton's coming from here. Even if it's for selfish reasons, I understand why he's grumpy. I do too. The position that Hamilton has here is honestly one of the things that I like the least about myself. And that's one reason I push back on it so much. 
is because he is so dedicated to putting his work before his loved ones. And that's something that I personally struggle with, right? So I have a difficulty respecting it in him because it's something that I disrespect in myself. Right. Does totally. that make sense? Absolutely. Well, all, all of our opinions on everything are formed by our life experiences, right? Yeah. Right? And so, yeah, it would make perfect sense that your life experiences about a similar thing would color how you'd view the situation separately like, and would change how you view it compared to how I would view it. Yeah. yeah I don't agree I just, with Hamilton you know, here. I just think there, I, I don't think he's like completely out of line. I think, I think it tracks with his character. I think it's, I think it makes sense. Like, I think the, I mean, I think like the prospect of losing the war, regardless of what Hamilton gains, like where, where, where does Eliza think they're going to end up if they lose the war? Right. I don't know. Maybe I'm not being, maybe I'm being too cruel to Eliza here. I agree with her. I think she's right. But I, I think there's a little more to Hamilton's position than just being I, a bad person. I don't think you're being cruel to Eliza. If I'm understanding you correctly, I think that actually you're attributing to her the same logistical thinking that Burr uh, displays earlier on in the show, where he's just trying to make sure that however this goes, like playing two sides, whatever, like how this turns out, we're going to be okay. That being said, I think that Eliza has more flexibility there because if the English win, she's still the daughter of aristocracy and will probably be well-treated by English occupation. And if the Patriots win, then she's Eliza Hamilton, right? So she she can also be well taken care of because her husband is at the right hand of the father. I don't think you're being cruel to her. I think you're you're offering an honestly candid analysis of she's going to be sitting pretty either way. Um I just think we're meant to interpret this as a very sweet moment from her. Oh, and it is. It's Maybe, a very human moment, you know? like a very raw, emotional human moment. Yeah, that's why, that's why I don't include any like logistical machinations in my reckoning here. Because <laughs> yeah. to me, it just seems, it just seems so genuine. Now, Maybe I would feel differently if I was reading this just as text. Maybe the the sympathetic nature, the emotional uh, value of the delivery from Philippa is is coloring my response to it. But also, like I can't I can't deny the fact that part of what I bring to this number and what I bring to Hamilton not going upstate with Eliza and Angelica. Uh, what I bring right, that to is a, that is a separate what? thing. I okay. That is that a, is right. Right, but we're I, on another. That is just stupidity. No, no, that no, no, no. But what? I, right, right. But I'm saying that these things are all yes. That is a separate thing, and it is. But I'm saying that there is a through line here with my personal response because I am bringing my my experience of it hurts me to watch this character make the same mistakes that I've made in my personal life because I know where it eventually leads. Where it's going to end right? up for him, right. I get you. Be- because as a, like, as a workaholic, 
and as someone that you know has like missed so many opportunities in my in my personal and romantic lives for my profession when i see this in hamilton it's like bruh shut up hug that baby bump and tell her you love her like yeah, that's that all nice. you do right here that's what it, that would have been nice right? hamilton that would have been nice, yeah. I okay. I, I just want to clarify the difference. Like this, I'm trying to be sympathetic to Hamilton a little. Later, I am not at all. That is mm-hmm. d- that is dumb. Later, right? That's just pure selfishness. Later, this I think there's a little more going on, whether it's selfishness or not. Um, what do you make of? What do you make of Eliza? I I don't know where she's. I don't know how to put this. I think she's struggling a bit here because on one hand, she's very adamant. I know who I married. I'm not afraid, right? But at the same time, at the same time, like, it all, it doesn't, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. It feels a little weird to me that she doesn't understand, I guess, or maybe she's just trying to convince Hamilton to stay because, like, it perfectly tracks that he would want to go fight in the war, and she even says as much. So to me, it, it's a little bit not weird because it's just a, such a raw human moment. But to me, it seems a little strange that she's just so she like takes a long time here to convince him, like, look around, we're lucky to be alive, and all that stuff. But she surely knows none of it's going to matter to him. That's not what he's here for. Right, I, 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 it's weird to me that she takes all this effort to try and convince him of this when, when she also acknowledges that it, it's not going to work in her own way. Hope springs eternal, man. I guess, and, yeah, I guess. And, uh, you can. It's hard to know how to start the, start the thought. I mean, it's I'm kinda, struggling to start it, this it, thought too because she, she, she acknowledges it starts with it's. Hey, let me let me try to get there because I'm, I'm close. Yeah. I, I think I'm close. It it's just it. A lot of it has to do with a certain amount of like cognitive dissonance that you allow her and yourself. Part of it is she knows who he is and she has accepted who he is and she loves him and she's not trying to change him. She is willing to be with him as long as is just as long as he's willing to be with her. She doesn't want him to change whatever that's fine and then the other part of it is she desperately needs him to change right and she's begging him to change and put more focus on the family um and that's for me like there's there's a lot going on with her in this moment that is is painful to watch on stage because you ultimately have no reason to believe that Hamilton is going to live up to her expectations. Oh, not and at her all. Expecta- yeah. Whereas her expectations for him actually kind of simple. She just wants loyalty. She just wants love. And yet you understand that he's probably going to biff it, right? Yeah, but he's also, you like, you fully understand that like the second he can he's going back to the war. Yeah. Right? Like he's in on this moment and he's 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 like listening to her but you just you know it's not going to have but it's not going to it's not going to sit in there for very long before he wants to go to war again. Right. 
And so there's this really odd combination in this song that is uh, just brilliantly delivered by Philippa of this, I accept you for who you are. I desire you to be more. I desire you to live up to my expectations for us being enough. But if you don't, you know what? I'm still going to stay with you. And also, I am begging you, just please, please, you little shit, just hear me. <laughs> All I want yeah, I think that's part of it. is just, for us to be okay. Just you know be, what I mean? Like being like hurt is a, good. Like I think I think there's a certain amount yeah. of, of happiness or something you can at least be okay with if you're if you're just being heard, even if he doesn't take it to heart or doesn't like act on your advice. Being listened to feels mm-hmm. good regardless. It does. It feels good for all of us, right? For for every human being, just being heard and understood. Yeah. And tucked into these pleas from her is uh, another one of my favorite simple, short lines in the entire show. Um, it's it's near the end of the song when she says, uh, where you decide to stay, and I could be enough, and we could be enough. And we could be enough. That line right there. So we're talking about her and Hamilton as a we. We're talking about her and Philip as a we. <laughs> and we're talking about her, Philip, and Hamilton as, as, a, a, as we. a we. Yeah. It's so good. I really like the <laughs> use so... of the word enough. Because I think it's the perfect mm-hmm. word. And I think enough describes, like, it's really... Enough is a good, like, true-to-life word. I think there are very mm-hmm. few people who ever achieve whatever grand ambitions they had for themselves w- w- when they were growing up or whatever. Right? And people people are just trying to find enough. Right? Like, yeah. enough of a good shelter, enough money, enough food, enough recreational time, enough love enough like i don't think there's very many people um who are who are getting all of what they hoped and dreamed for all the time right but people are often looking and settling for enough and i like that 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 i think i think it's the right word for this song and i really like i really like her using that word in her in her plea because it's the perfect word to describe what she's asking like she's not asking mm-hmm. for a lot here she's just asking for enough no. Like she's not asking for everything she wants. She's just asking for enough of what she wants, which I think is again very true to life. Yeah, I love it. I mean, it's it, it's important to um well, not important, but it's supporting your argument like how often do we remark on or think it's important that an artist in popular culture actually retires, right? <laughs> Cuz people just assume that once people become at the top of their game, they're just going to keep going. You know, we look at people like Logic, Childish Gambino, Donald Glover, that quit when they're ahead, and we think, how rare is that? <laughs> yeah. Like, you didn't, you know, expect that someone had actually found enough. But they have, right? And this is what she's asking him to do. Now, in my opinion, uh, someone like Logic quitting one of the uh, most meteoric hip-hop careers for a young person ever, just to be with his family. Like, I think that Hamilton could have taken a a lesson from that, right? 
Um, and I think that what she's asking for here is simple. Um, and I just, man. Yeah, I, I, uh, I understand. How, how, how different would how different would Act Two be if he had actually listened? I understand why he doesn't do it here, in my devil's mm-hmm. advocate way that I don't really agree with, but I understand why he does it. I do not understand why he doesn't do it later. Like, I think there's a huge. I think I think my analysis of this song will make more sense to me when I analyze um, just before the Re- the Reynolds situation happens because mm-hmm. I almost have the opposite take there. I think. Um, there was something else I wanted to 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 mention here, and I can't remember what it was. What was it? Oh man, this sucks. I should have written my notes. There was something I really wanted to. Oh, the narrative, because that's very important. Just a track. This is the first time we get it. Eliza saying, "Let me be a part of the narrative." Later, she's going to take herself out of the narrative. It's interesting to track when Eliza gives permission for herself to be in the story that's being told. I think that's a fun, not really breaking the fourth wall, but kind of breaking the fourth wall type of thing where she's like talking about like that. She's currently in a story that will be written someday, right? That she is mm-hmm. the, like, she's acknowledging in a story that she's in a story type of thing. And I, I like the, I like the matrix level of it, but I like that we can track it much like Burr is the narrator, something we're tracking over time just to keep that line kind of in our brains. So when it comes up later, we can compare the uses of the word narrative here and her, her, her opinion on wanting to be in it. Yeah. It's very important on a certain meta level. And also, I mean, all good things happen in threes, right? And this is our first Eliza telling the story reference, right? Um, here we have the establishment of it. Then we have the reversal in burn, right? Which also, like musically and blocking wise, has parallels to this song. Oh, very similar in a and, lot of ways, absolutely. Yeah, and then we get the restoration and the prestige in the final song, right? When she is telling the story, right? So I think that um, it would have it would have kind of been a, a travesty had we not mentioned that, right? That she brings that up here. I'm glad that you did. Um, because on, yeah, there is some, there is some meta like fourth wall stuff with Lin-Manuel recognizing that someone is writing a story and now he's putting those words in Eliza's mouth. But like, it does like that kind of, for me at least, doubles down on how sweet and loving she is in this moment. She's laying the groundwork for you to understand that she is going to be the one that eventually tells Hamilton's story with her living another 50 years and what she does like this. She's just like, let me be a part of the narrative. And I like this. And I especially like you bringing it up. So we can talk about it. What she's hoping for here is to be a part of the narrative. And then she goes on to write and tell that narrative herself at the end of the show. She surpasses even what she says here are her hopes, right? Um, but I also love that her hopes here are just so simple. She just wants to be yeah, part it's of a, life. I, I don't have any, it's one of those songs that's so complicated, but fairly easy to like analyze for me. Like I, it's a very raw human moment. All of it. All of it is just it a is. raw humanity that everyone can understand and sympathize with. 
and like the all like you could go line by line and analyze it all but it all kind of comes to the same thing for me like she is just having like a very human moment and just wants to be loved and wants to be with her husband and, and wants to wants him to see their child like it's all it's all just there like it just is and it's beautiful and it's amazing and it, it just kind of is it's a, it, it, this is the hardest song to analyze for sure so far i didn't expect it to be um but it definitely has been because it's so simple to analyze yet there's so much going on that i'm like conflicting in my brain right now about whether i have anything to add because there's so many lines here that i could talk about but it all ends at the same for me like she's she's doing she's doing her thing and she's killing it she really is i expected it to be difficult i didn't think i expected it to be this well it's easy to discuss it was very hard to prepare notes for yeah it's uh, yeah it's so hard to describe it it because like it's not maybe easy to analyze isn't the right phrase but right my my feelings about it are simple but there's so much going on here and you're trying yeah yeah anyways i i don't know what else to add to the song really (laughs) i i yeah i mean part of me is I mean, it's weird, I, I guess, on one level, that it's this song and not satisfied or wait for it. But as I was prepa- uh, preparing for today's episode, I was thinking that this might be the first song in the show that actually deserved its own episode. Because it is deceptively simple. Yeah. And yet, what's going on here and how this informs what we see in the rest of the show all the way to burn and the world was wide enough and who lives, who dies. Like there's so much packed in here. Like I, yeah, it's hard to, I, I I just, I'm, I'm too dumb to give it justice. I think, I think maybe this song for us, (laughs) I feel the same way. Like, I just feel like I haven't really said enough about the song compared to like how much I analyze like the dude with the scroll (laughs) or like the the dancing book guy. Um, I think maybe this song, now that I'm thinking about it more is the perfect song to analyze in reference later. I think this is hard to analyze on its own outside of how Eliza and Hamilton are each acting which my thoughts on it is right. But I think this is a very good reference song that we'll analyze a lot as we, as we compare it to the other numbers uh, thematically and through the story, but also because they're kind of of a piece. Um, Yeah. So I think we'll come back. Because this is, this is the first part of a triplet. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, even though this song exists, uh, in conjunction with the other three that we've talked about today. And it kind of closes this life chapter, closes the life chapter by bringing into the world a new life, Philip. Um, and and really the only Hamilton child that we deal with in the show, which is interesting. Um, but, but it also like relates this to so many other tracks in the show. Like, of course, we're going to revisit it. But I feel, I feel like, I, I guess I'm, go, I'm, I'm going ahead and predicting that this song will have a noticeable presence in our one or 10 leftovers episodes that we've talked about doing, because like, there's a lot here yeah. um, to continue going through um, and credit to uh, credit to the team and Philippa for making that possible. I mean, this is, 
This is not my shot. This is not room where it happens. This is not hurricane. This is a tidy, simple, small number. And yet, it is so impactful. And I think it is, I think it has that impact on anybody who sees or listens to this show. It's just so damn good. And also, just so moving. I kudos. Hey, uh, turns out Hamilton, good musical. Yeah. Turns out it's pretty good. <laughs> they do a good job. Yeah. I never they do. They do. Okay. They do. Okay. All of them. Even the dude who does the, the microphones on and off and the guy that does the mixing that we talked about. I can't remember what his position is, but that guy, uh, Ableton programmer. Yeah. That guy's doing good. They're all fantastic. He's doing great. Bullet girl is uh. great. Burr's ego, not great. Otherwise, not great. Not going well. Um, Charles Lee's screamo haircut, so yeah. great. <laughs> That's a good haircut. It's a good cut. I, it's a great out of haircut. All the, all, the, out of all the actors I wouldn't want to see recast, he might be one of them just for that. He's perfect as Charles Lee there. Perfect. Absolutely perfect, man. He is, he is one of my favorites indeed. All right. Anything else you want to chat about with this tune? Or are we heading to the outro? Uh, no, I'm tapped. I'm spent. I'm spent. Man. I'm definitely going to regret this one. I don't really have much more analysis, but we'll go back. We'll come back to it. We'll come back to it as we go along and, and make sure. To- Dare I say we will rewind. <laughs> we will rewind. All right. All right. Yes, that's enough. Okay. Outro time. Thank you all for listening. First of all, before I turn things over to Bradley for the housekeeping, I just want to say to everybody listening, thank you for being here uh, with us today. And also, Bradley, real quick, thank you for being here with me. Um, No worries, This has been, yeah, I I really appreciate it. Um, This, the opportunity to talk about this show has been very comforting recently. Um, and it's, it's funny that, you know, I saw that you were going to do this show. Um, and, and I, I reached out to you and, and said, you have no way of knowing this because all we do online is talk about civilization six, but this is actually what I do. And, and that, and now here we are, right? So I was, I was expecting to just be like a research, like some kind of help to you. And that, and now here we are doing this together, which I appreciate because this has been a, sh- uh, um, a, a shitty week, a shitty couple of weeks. And on my Civilization podcast, I had the opportunity to talk about Ba Tru from Vietnam and celebrate her uh, strengths and virtues. Um, and, and, and on this show, I get to talk about Philippa Sue. And, and I get to talk about all of these people of various origins and and skin colors and and how immigrants get the job done and how we are how we are better united instead of divided um so so before we do the um before we do the regular outro stuff i just i did want to take a chance to say thank you to everybody's listening um and and let you know that um this is a, a really positive uh, pl- uh, force in my life right now, and I hope it is for you too. Because the ability um, for 
for two cishet uh, white guys to talk about <laughs> <laughs> all of this. It's a little bit weird, but I wish there were more voices like this in the world. So, um, so thanks for listening. Um, and I'm glad to have the opportunity to sing some women's praises right now because I think it's really needed. All right. So yeah, so that's that's me. Um, you can find me on the internet. That's <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the places where you can find Connor are in the show notes. Um, I'll just add a little bit to that. Uh, just 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 such a pleasure to have you on every week. Um, this kind of started as as I, I was going to do the show. I had done the Bridgerton run. That was really cool. And Connor reached out, and I, and as soon as he said he wanted to be involved, I remember my first message back was like, "How involved? Because if it's involved, like, do you want to just co-host the thing, right? Because I, I like Hamilton, but having somebody to just—I did the Bridgerton podcast alone, and just having somebody to have a discussion with instead of just me throwing my thoughts." just out there it has been incredible, especially for something as complicated and deep um, that has this much going on. So you're, you're being very kind, but it's, it's an absolute pleasure to, to have you on the show every week and, and to record this. I tweeted even today that it's just the most fun part of my week is, is recording. Let's dive deep. Um, so, so no worries, well, no worries at all. There. It's, it's not like I'm exactly, you know, it's, it's not like charity. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying it too. I mean, part of it is I can't work right now, right? So, yeah. so at least I can talk about it, you know. And it's um, it's a lot of fun. It's cathartic, and it's it's helping me. You know, I'm analyzing a, a piece of work again, which used to be. It used to be part of my daily process that I was breaking down these shows and thinking about them, thinking critically and thinking creatively. So now, hopefully, I can. I don't know. Hope so. someone's enjoying me enjoying this because I'm having a ball and I appreciate <laughs> it. So. Perfect. All right. Well, that'll be it for all of us today. Thank you so much for joining us on our deep dive. Just a reminder, before we let you go, that you can head to Twitter at Let's Dive Deep or email your questions or comments or anything to Let's Dive Deep Pod at gmail.com if you would like to continue the discussion. Twitter is also a great way to get updates, fun little GIFs or GIFs or however you say it that I post about Hamilton on there. So feel free to do that. It also has some information for the other Let's Dive Deep uh, stuff that I've done with Bridgerton and whatnot. In the next episode of this podcast, though, Let's Dive Deep Hamilton, we will be taking on, uh, again, every week, rather ambitiously, songs 18 through 21, <laughs> Guns and Ships, History Has Its Eyes on You, Yorktown. This is such a packed week. Damn, it's so much. And what comes next? And what comes next? We're doing all four of those and what's going to be a 19-hour podcast next week. So um, we hope to see you there. Thank you for listening, and we will see you in the next one.